everyone and welcome back to the Live With Rachel podcast. I'm Rachel and today we're going to be talking about all things judgment. So it turns out I'm not completely done with this mini series that we're doing. I keep getting inspired by other topics that I could add on to this and so I felt like it was really natural because we started talking about how do you make wise decisions and then how do you use wisdom and how do you live more I guess you know morally and ethically well. So I felt like it was very natural to want to talk about judgment and the consequences of those choices that we're making and sometimes just all the little nitty gritty stuff in between. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at all things judgment, as I've said, what the Bible says about judging. What does it mean when the Bible says do not judge? Should we even be judging others? Why are Christians so judgmental? And is it even right to judge? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And to start off with, I feel like it's very common for people to not want to feel judged or criticized in any way. And it's also very common for people to be just afraid of judgment altogether. I think that's another thing why people are so afraid of trying to make the right decisions because if they stuff up, then people are going to judge them and they don't want that. People don't want to hear about the things that they're doing wrong. They want to be affirmed that their choices are good ones. People want to appear to be right in their own eyes. They don't want people telling them what to do. And that's the kind of society that we live in today. And with Christians in particular, we really love quoting or even sometimes unbelievers love to quote this at us and it's to quote Matthew chapter 7 verse 1 which says do not judge or you too will be judged or even John chapter 8 verse 7 and that one says he that is without sin let him cast the first stone. So in other words judgmental people need to remember that they will be judged by the same standard that they apply to others which can also quickly spread to this very worldly attitude or narrative of just you know you do you do whatever you think is best you don't have the right to tell me that I'm wrong and just this kind of attitude and behavior. Now, we've already discussed practically how to make good and moral decisions and some sources that I've added that can help us to make these decisions and also how to get more wisdom and knowledge in order to make these good decisions. But today we're going to get right into the nitty gritty of making those decisions, as I've said, because when you're making a decision based on what's good and what's not good, in in a way you're making a judgment. So how do we navigate all of this as well as other people's feelings? So let's get right into it. And we're going to start with a Bible verse that I mentioned earlier, which was Matthew chapter seven, verse one. So let's actually read it in its entire context from verses one to six. And it says this in the Amplified Bible. Do not judge and criticize and condemn others unfairly with an attitude of self-righteous superiority as though assuming the office of a judge so that you will not be judged unfairly. For just as you hypocritically judge others when you are sinful and unrepentant, so you will be judged. And in accordance with your standard of measure used to pass out judgment, judgment will be measured to you. Why do you look at the insignificant speck that's in your brother's eye, but you do not notice and acknowledge the atrocious log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me get the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? First get the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. 
Do not give that which is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before pigs, but they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. So I read that in the Amplified Bible to really flesh out what it means so that there would be no room for misunderstanding. Because like I said earlier, people like to use this verse, like that one particular verse, to silence people who may be passing judgment on them or maybe something that they've done. But that's just a classic case of people not actually reading the Bible or understanding the Bible in its proper context. There is so much more to this section than just that one verse. For starters, the Bible's command that we're not to judge other people does not (laughs) mean that we can't show discernment. If you're unfamiliar with that word, discernment is the ability to judge well. It's basically the ability to understand and to perceive and to judge things clearly, especially when things aren't very obvious or straightforward. And you can see in verse 6, Jesus says immediately after saying, do not judge, He also says, do not give that which is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before pigs, for they will trample them under feet and turn and tear you to pieces. And then also, if we skip down to Matthew chapter 7 verses 15 to 16, it says, beware of the false prophets and teachers who come to you dressed up as sheep, appearing to be gentle and innocent, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. That is by their contrived doctrine and self-focus. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs? from thistles. So in the same exact sermon, Jesus is telling us to watch out for the dogs, pigs, and false teachers that do come into our lives. And that is being discerning and making a judgment. So Jesus is giving us permission to tell right from wrong. So it's absolutely okay. This also goes alongside with what the Bible teaches about truth. In the world, there are two main concepts of truth, and that is absolute truth and universal truth. But before I get into that, I want to define what truth is. So according to the dictionary, truth is conformity to fact or actuality, a statement proven to be or accepted as true. So some people would argue that there is actually no true reality, just perceptions and opinions about things, while others would say that there must be some absolute reality or truth. So the first view says that there are no absolutes that define reality and believe that everything is relative to something else. So there's no actual reality. And because of this, there's no moral absolutes. There's no authority for deciding if an action is good or bad, or right or wrong. And this is where things can get a little bit confusing or blurry because it leads to situational ethics, which is the belief that what is right or wrong is relative to the situation, meaning whatever feels right at the time and what is right for the situation, which this way of thinking actually trickles down into living life by what feels good and only that, which is very devastating on people and society in general. In a nutshell, this is what postmodernism is, and it's creating a society that regards all values beliefs, lifestyles, and truth as equally valid. And even though that sounds nice, let me explain the other view. So the other view is the one that holds reality, being absolute and standards that are truly what defines society and our world as what is true and what is false. And it's the view that actions can be determined by either right or wrong by how they measure up to those absolute standards. So if there are no absolutes, no reality, then there would just be chaos. So for example, the law of gravity. If there wasn't an absolute for that, then we would never be sure if we could stand or sit in one place because we'd constantly be wondering if we just take one more step and we're just going to float away. Or another example would be math. So if two plus two didn't equal four, then science, math, 
physics would all just be irrelevant and buying and selling things would be just absolute chaos and it would be impossible and it would just just be a whole big mess as I'm sure you can imagine. Anyway, going back to what I was saying originally, the Bible teaches that truth is objective, eternal, absolute and inseparable from God's character. Anything that contradicts the truth is a lie. But of course, if you're going to call something a lie, you're making a judgment. So to call murder or cheating a sin is to pass judgment. But it's also to agree with God. When Jesus said not to judge others, he didn't mean that no one can identify sin for what it really is based on God's definition of sin. In the same way, the Bible's command that we're not to judge others doesn't mean that there should be no way or method with dealing with sin. The Bible has a book called Judges, and the judges in the Old Testament were called by God, and it was the start of the modern judicial system that we have today. Just because Jesus said do not judge doesn't mean that he was also saying anything goes. Jesus also said in John chapter 7 verse 24, do not judge by appearance, superficially and arrogantly, but judge fairly and righteously. So this gives us a kind of idea of what kind of judgment where to do versus how to judge wrongly. We're not to judge superficially, meaning judging someone based on appearances only, because it's really silly to jump to conclusions before actually investigating the facts. We're also not to judge hypocritically, meaning that when we point out the sin of others, while we ourselves are also sinning in the same way, we're just condemning ourselves. We're also not to judge harshly or unforgivingly because we're supposed to be gentle towards everyone and show mercy towards others. We're also not to judge self-righteously because we're supposed to be humble because God opposes the proud. So how can we help someone else if we are not free ourselves? We need to first be willing to look honestly at our own lives and exercise the same judgment towards others. Now, this is what I mean when I'm saying that we're to judge from a position of humility. Humility is almost like a mega theme throughout Jesus' Sermon on the Mound in Matthew chapter 5. It's actually impossible to carry out what God teaches without maintaining authentic humbleness in our attitude towards others. Jesus wants Christians to show mercy, to cultivate peace, and to bless those who persecute them. And lastly, we're not to judge falsely, meaning that the Bible is very, very clear in saying that lying or bearing false witness, in other words, is also a sin. So it's really not okay. We're not to slander anyone. A real Christian will see themselves accurately as they see others. They will recognize their own sinfulness and need for God's mercy, which will and should be shared with other Christians. They have no reason to consider themselves better than other people. Also, Jesus wants us to first always apply his teachings to ourselves and then to other people. So when you read the Bible, you should be asking yourself, how does this apply to me? How do I appropriate this truth into my own life? And that way we can avoid drawing conclusions that are superficial, proud, hypocritical, and self-righteous. Overall, opposing sin is not wrong. Sometimes people just don't know what sin is, but it's up to those who call ourselves Christians to know what God's word says and what God's character is like. Otherwise, we're just acting like legalistic or nominal Christians. In other words, we're just being fake. Jesus wants us to discern sin in others so that we can help them to get rid of it. Usually what gets in the way on their end is pride or shame or perhaps even guilt. But the purpose of judging someone else's weakness should be to help them walk in freedom. When you uphold a standard of righteousness or goodness, 
that clearly defines what unrighteousness or evil is, you will naturally draw on criticisms and arguments from those who choose sin over Christ-likeness. Those who reject or are offended by the truth simply prove the power of God's word to convict the heart of humanity. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active and full of power, making it operative, energizing and effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating as far as the division of the soul and spirit the completeness of a person, and of both joints and marrow, the deepest parts of our nature, exposing and judging the very thoughts and intentions of the heart. Also, John the Baptist called out King Herod for sleeping with his half-brother's wife and marrying her because it was against the Old Testament law. It was also, to be plain about it, it was considered adultery. It's actually found in Mark chapter 6 if you're interested in reading about that uh, situation. But in the end, John the Baptist died in order to be silenced. But the lesson here is that you can't ultimately silence the truth. And that's because the truth is written on our hearts. So if you're a Christian today, I want to encourage you. You're to judge rightly. You're to be discerning. You're to preach and teach the whole counsel of God, including what the Bible has to say on sin. You're gently to confront other Christians when they slip up. And you're to speak the truth in love with grace and humility. Do not apologize. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 24 and 25 says, God's servants must not be troublemakers. They must be kind to everyone and they must be good teachers and very patient. Be humble when you correct people who oppose you. Maybe God will lead them to turn to him and to learn the truth. You're also to practice church discipline, which is found in Matthew chapter 18 verses 15 to 17. So that's the model. If they sin, go and talk to them about it in private. And if they listen to you, then you've succeeded. But if they don't listen, Bring one or two more people with you, because the Bible says, so that every word may be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church, which I'm assuming in this case that they mean church elders or the church board members, not literally telling the entire church what had happened. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, which I'm assuming is mature, older Christians, then it says, let them be to you as an unbeliever. And what that means is we're not to allow sin the opportunity to gain ground or to be honored within the church community because God won't be mocked. He will judge his own people. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 26 to 27 says, For if we go on willfully and deliberately sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice to atone for our sins, that is, no further offering to anticipate, but a kind of awful and terrifying expectation of divine judgment and the fury of a fire and burning wrath which will consume the adversaries, those who put themselves in opposition to God. So this is just absolutely terrifying. I don't know about you, but willful sin with the knowledge of the truth will be judged by God. And before I get into all of that, though, I want to start off by saying that, yes, God does love everyone. And since everyone is naturally a sinner, God loves sinners. God loves the whole world, in fact. However, it doesn't mean that he approves of bad things. He doesn't approve of sin. In the same way, a good parent loves their kids, But that doesn't mean that they just let them do whatever they want. When a child lies to their parent, for example, they still love them. They can still love them. But that doesn't mean that they approve of the lying. Instead, they can, in fact, with love, correct the child. So in the same way, if someone in a relationship starts flirting with someone else or even cheats on their partner, 
What's more loving, turning a blind eye and hoping for the best, or warning your friend of the imminent consequences? Sin destroys and love attempts to prevent destruction. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 6 says, Love rejoices in the truth, but not in evil. Loving correctly doesn't mean to just clap and approve of a sinful lifestyle, or to ignore the sin and just say, Oh, it doesn't matter, it's none of my business, because that's not real love. Biblically, love is doing what is best for someone, regardless of the cost. Love is therefore truthful, and deception can't really bring about the best for anyone. Jesus did his best. He balanced truth and grace perfectly, and everything that he was was true. And he countered those who opposed the truth with harsh objections. Jesus had nothing but words of comfort and grace for those who came to him in repentance, no matter what their sin was. We ourselves can't ignore the truth and call it grace any more than we can ignore grace and call that truth. And the truth is that God will ultimately judge sin. The grace is God saves us from sin. We can and should try to love unrepentant people and those who refuse to acknowledge their sin. We should want what is best for them and we should want to do good to them. And we should always try to tell them the truth about their sin along with the message of God's grace in Christ. Sin can be forgiven and hearts can be renewed. After that, it's really just up to them what they decide. Remembering Hebrews chapter 10 verses 26 to 27 from earlier, which I want to circle back to. That last section that says, a kind of awful and terrifying expectation of divine judgment and the fury of a fire and burning wrath, which will consume the adversaries, those who put themselves in opposition to God. So just about that section, let's talk about that for a second. So you can read all about this in Revelation chapter 20, but I highly recommend reading the book of Revelation with a Bible commentary or something like that. Websites like Enduring Word or Bible Ref, or thebiblesays.com. They're all really great for figuring out what Bible verses mean, but let's go look into it right now. So Revelation chapter 20 says that the books will be opened and they will contain the records of everyone's deeds, whether they are good or bad, because God knows everything that has ever been said, done, or even thought. And he will reward or punish each one accordingly, which obviously sounds terrifying as Hebrew says, but also another book that's opened is called the book of life. And it is this book that determines whether a person will get to have eternal life and be with God in heaven forever, or if they will receive ongoing punishment in the lake of fire. So Christians are held accountable for their actions, but they are forgiven in Jesus when they give their life to Jesus and their names are written in the book of life. Christians will be rewarded based on how faithfully they serve Jesus and how well they obeyed the Great Commission to tell everyone about Jesus and salvation and also how victorious they were over sin in their lives and how well they controlled their tongues and and so on. But because of that fact, there will be a final judgment for everyone, believers and non-believers and that each person will one day stand before Jesus and be judged for their deeds. Now, it's really important to remember that unbelievers or those who are willfully putting themselves in opposition to God, meaning they're actively rejecting Jesus and his sacrifice, those people are storing up God's wrath for themselves. And that's not a wise thing to do, obviously, because if they reject Jesus, they will be judged on their works alone. And because the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 2 verse 16 that no no one can please God by simply obeying the Old Testament law, they will be condemned. No amount of good works or deeds can ever be enough to atone for sin. All of their thoughts, words, and actions will be judged against God's perfect standard. Now, I don't say this to scare you. I say that because that's the other side of the coin. First John 
chapter 4 verses 14 to 18 says this in the New Living Translation. We have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. So did you hear that? So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. And also, If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. So those who have believed in Jesus are in his love and have absolutely no reason to fear judgment and condemnation. But those who are not in Christ have every reason to fear the judgment. The Apostle John explains that if we are in Christ, then we have no need for fear because there is no fear in love. If we are in Christ, We see his love perfectly expressed in his salvation, and we should demonstrate that love towards others. So I just want to say that again. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. God's perfect love has cast out our fear of punishment and condemnation. So in a sense, we should always reverentially fear God because he is the creator and he is sovereign overall. But that is quite different from fearing judgment and condemnation. We don't fear God because we are afraid that he might violate his promises or just throw us into condemnation. No, not at all. We fear God because of his greatness, his worthiness, and his awesomeness. And like I said in the previous episode, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. And it's because of this that we can understand what a gift his love truly, truly is. To be loved by the one who is incredible and great means that his love is stronger than anything that we can ever imagine. And like I've said before, it's it's a Bible verse, but if God is for us, then who can be against us? We have absolutely nothing to fear. Anyway, that's where I'm going to leave it today. I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode and that it's been really illuminating on the subject of judgment and how do we, how do we even navigate it? So I hope it's answered some questions and given you some kind of reassurance, like if you were afraid of being judged. So I really hope that you have a great rest of your day and I'll see you next time. Bye everyone.